Welcome to the Boss Bitch Show podcast. <laughs> we are delighted to have Daniel Maté with us, accomplished composer and now mental chiropractor. Uh, yeah, among other things. Among other things, which we're going to find out. Yeah, so let's jump in. Tell us what makes you a boss bitch. Uh, can I get a working definition of the term? <laughs> oh, that is, that, is a fair, that is a fair question. Yeah, I, I always like to define my terms before I make bold claims. Oh, oh, that's good. I like that. That's man of his word. So a boss bitch is just uh, whatever makes you a badass in life. Like uh, we invited you here because we think you're a badass. Now you it. get to tell us why you think you're a badass. So now I get to read your mind. Uh, or no, <laughs> tell you why I think I'm a badass. Okay, I'll, yeah. I'll step into the... You know, are listening of you? Yeah, I'll step into the the. Yeah, exactly. You're listening of me, but also you know, feeling myself, as they say, not in yeah. the literal sense. At least not here. Um, <laughs> not yet. Not well. Not they yet. They have to pay extra for that. <laughs> That'll right. be on our Patreon. That's on the paywall. Yeah. Soon to come. Yeah, yeah, the Patreon version. I would say taking the boss part of the term. One of the things I love about my life, which might be the best way to get into. That's great. You know, you're, the answer is that I am the boss of myself in pretty much everything I do, I think. Mm. Uh, I don't work for anybody else. I work with other people. I have collaborators galore. But I've managed somehow to end up with, and, you know, I, I've designed it this way, I think, over time. But also sort of by process of elimination because nothing else would work for me and I'm unwilling to be miserable. And it's not the case for everybody. You know, but it just happens to be my temperament, my personality, um, my orientation in the world, that sort of any anything within an institution or working for somebody else, I would chafe against it, you know? So that's one aspect of the the boss part of it. And, um, and also, I just love everything I do, which uh, I couldn't have always said, but I'm in a moment right now in my life where I can say that, and I'm very uh, thankful for that. There's a lot of diversity and variety to what I do, and I feel like all of it is both varied and unified, if that makes any sense. I feel like every aspect of what I do is one expression of who I am and what I'm here for. And mm. I feel like everything that I do, um, I'm able to understand it as an expression of that purpose, um, which has taken me a long time to kind of get to the point where a I know what that is and b able to come from that place in everything I do and insist on that being the case uh in everything I do mm. um which takes a certain amount of curation and maintenance and sort of uh I don't know ontological hygiene you could say <laughs> I uh, like that you got to keep it sort of clean and pure and 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 have well, boundaries to use a to use a an overused word or or standards or discernment or whatever it is, you know. So, mm -hmm. I think those are sort of the the mechanics or the dynamics that go into me living a life where I can authentically say, "This is the life I've created, and this is the life I want." That's amazing. Lit. It's nice to see that for you, and I feel like I'm coming into that for myself and a lot of people. I think. It's a, a culmination of experience on the planet mixed with, you know, maybe any ontological work that you've done, mm -hmm. therapy. And, and catastrophe. Fair. <laughs> I can't, I cannot mm -hmm. emphasize enough the role of catastrophe in my life mm. 
for fast-tracking certain core lessons that I couldn't have gotten in any course or any therapy or anything. I, oh, wow. I, I learned by shit falling apart mm. and, and what it takes to understand that in a way where I can see, oh, that was for me. That was actually, you know, shifting from why is this happening to me to how is this showing me exactly what I need to see, which is not positive thinking at all, Mm-mm. but it is pragmatic. Well, it's more of a reframing, I guess. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, and given that there are many options of how to see any situation, why not choose the one that's going to have the most growth value in it? But also, it's just completely self-interested because I don't want to go through that shit again. Yeah. And if mm-hmm. I don't want to go through that shit again, I better derive the lesson from it. I better metabolize the nutrients that are in it mm. or else, you know, those who do not learn from history, blah, 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 mm. etc. Sure. And that's true in the personal realm as much as in the political. So... Yeah, catastrophe, apocalyptic, epic fails mm. have been a major part of my uh, my development as the person I am now. Uh, let me ask you, in your personal opinion, do you feel that there is something to be gleaned from all catastrophe? <sighs> I would say yes. I can't prove it. Sure. Um, that doesn't... I mean... I wouldn't wish it on ever. I wouldn't wish all catastrophe on everybody. I mean, I wouldn't wish unpleasant things on anybody, but I don't right. have to because it's going to happen anyway. Right. Um, it's interesting. A number of my musicals, which is one thing I do, seem to be about what we can glean or really who we become in the face of catastrophe. Mm. At which point we do have a choice of how to look at it. My very first show and my most recent show in very different ways uh, seem to touch on this topic and and other shows of mine as well. Mm. Yeah, I think there's there's a distinction too between um, catastrophe that uh, is your own doing and catastrophe that seems to occur in your life that like, you know what I mean? Like yeah. an earthquake is not your fault. You know, you didn't manifest an earthquake, but you know. So do you want to expand sure, on that a Sure, yeah. Bit? Well, so I would uh, see one of the reframes I would opt for probably, or I mm-hmm. would challenge at least, the question of fault to begin with. Mm. Because that itself suggests that something shouldn't be. Mm. Now, an earthquake is a, it's, there is no sense to the thing itself unless you look at it geologically and cosmically. Mm-hmm. Like the earth needs to do it or else it wouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Like to the earth, it's not a catastrophe. It's a, you know, it's a burp or a, it's yeah. a release of pressure, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Earth burp. I like that. You know, just, but, but I mean, from that perspective, the annihilation of all life on this planet would not be a catastrophe in the cosmic scheme of things. Mm. It would be the universe writing itself after something goes haywire, you know, mm. uh, due mainly to us. Right. Um, but you know, stars explode, planets. Ex- I don't know if planets explode, explode, but you on know, Star Trek they do. On Star Trek they do. That's right. And <laughs> in Star Wars, but the universe expands, and at a certain point, maybe it'll you know it'll contract back to the size of a pinhead. So if we zoom out and use our galaxy brain, there is no shouldn't be. Now we don't live in that dimension. We live on mm. the human level. So I don't. I think there can be very much a spiritual bypass or ontological bypass when mm. we know better, but. And so we say, ah, it's all meaningless. It doesn't matter. Yeah, but that's not how we live. Mm -hmm. So let's be honest. But even in the case where random, quote unquote, acts of God happen. And so let's say you're not religious. So you're not inclined to look for the 
godly logic in it or, mm-hmm. or turn your faith over to some deity. In that case, I don't think it's a question of why did this happen, but what now? Mm. And what gets revealed about us and about our humanity in the face of it? And that can take a long time to, to glean, mm-hmm. to use the word you used. Yes. And I don't expect anyone to snap out of their grief or their shock or their horror or them being really pissed off or mm-hmm. feeling ripped off or, you know, all of that on any sort of timeline. Mm. But at a certain point, it seems to me, there might be an opportunity without being prescriptive about it all, but there might be a moment where we're able to look at it and say, what did this give me? I mean, look, there are people who survived the concentration camps who were able to look at it not as a good thing that happened, but there are people who woke up spiritually in the, in the concentration camps, mm-hmm. you know, or, or discovered something about their human resilience. And maybe if it wasn't like a, a no one's going to say, I'm so glad that happened. But they turned it into a lesson and a gift for others. So someone like Primo Levi, for example, you know, or Viktor Frankl, I think he was a Holocaust survivor. And many people have turned their suffering into, um, they've transmuted into a gift for others. Mm. So in that sense, there's a larger quote unquote purpose to it, which doesn't mean it was deliberate or or pre-planned necessarily. So it really is not about positive thinking or or certainly not about how did I manifest this although in the case say of my marriage and divorce I very clearly manifested it Mm. (laughs) I I very but I know but the way I would put that is in less new age terms I say I created it right I I I wrote the script I cast the, the the drama I cast myself as the lead character and I acted it out and then I sat in the audience and watched it happen yeah and then so you know, ultimately, fault is not useful. Responsibility can be. And mm. understanding the difference, I think, is useful. And we learn that through experience. So, mm-hmm. but you know what? Truly, I don't, I'm not someone who wants to impose any sort of spiritual truism, no matter how true, mm. on anybody. Because if the shoe fits, wear it. And there are times when it doesn't. Mm. You know, and I don't know what people are going through. And right. I don't know what it'd be like, say, to lose a child. I mean, my most recent musical is called The Sweet Hereafter, based on the Russell Banks novel, Russell Banks, R.I.P., who just died earlier this month. Wonderful guy. I got to meet him last year when he came and saw the first ever presentation of the show. Mm. The show is going to Philadelphia this spring to be done at a college there. And that show, just like the novel, just like the Canadian film that was made in the, um, in the 1990s, is about a small town in the Adirondacks, the Canadian film relocated it to my home province of British Columbia, where there's a terrible school bus crash mm. and like tens of the town's children die. Mm-hmm. And what happens in the aftermath of that is what the show is about mm. and what gets brought to the surface. Now, for some people, their lives completely fall apart and something is revealed for them and we hope that down the line they will get it together in some way they'll integrate the tragedy into their lives but we don't know because the story ends before that can happen Mm. for other characters one in particular who's a teenage girl who's been molested by her father for years i'm a you know i write really cheery song and dance (laughs) musical theater you can tell uplifting the the kick line is it's going to be so fabulous very similar to the christmas spectacular yes 40 42nd street yeah 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 yeah. yeah. the rockettes i'm thinking of casting them great um (laughs) So this 
this teenage girl who's always been the sort of um, golden shining promise of her town, straight A student, valedictorian, cheerleader, all of this stuff. Well, all of a sudden she's in a wheelchair. She survives, but she no longer has the use of her legs. Mm. And she notices bit by bit that all of a sudden she ha- she's starting to have power over her father mm. because A, he's not going to go near her again in that way. Mm. And B, they have a little secret which she is the keeper of. Oof. And it turns out her parents want her to participate in a class action lawsuit, which a lawyer who comes to town is, um, is conducting. And she has a choice to make, and she has some leverage mm. for the first time in her life. And the choice she makes, um, which I won't give away, sure. is her expression of that new agency that she's never had. So there's something fascinating to me about the unpredictability not only of life, but of consequence. Mm. And at the very least, what catastrophe seems to bring about is some revelation of truth that we didn't want to see. Do you um, follow like Abraham Hicks, Law of Attraction kind of stuff? Um, The name is familiar to me. Um, Probably if it's called Law of Attraction, I don't follow it because I just don't gravitate myself towards um, those sorts of explanations for things. But I mean... I get it, and I can look at my life and see what have I attracted. I've absolutely attracted, let's say, romantic partners, including the woman I married, who, if I look at it right, reflect back to me and reveal and expose all of the flaws in my conception of the world and of myself, basically all my wounds, Mm. you know, all the places where I don't respect myself, all the places where I'm coping and grasping and trying to get somewhere and acting as if I'm a needy um, or deeply unlovable human being, or the places where I act self-centered and self-absorbed, which is also an expression of woundedness, you know. So did I attract those women to me? Yes, literally. Mm. And they were attracted to me probably because of their own Right. So yeah. <laughs> in that respect, I get that attraction has certain laws to it, which is why I'm currently trying to update the inner frameworks so that the next time I attract somebody, it can go a little better and last a little longer. Right. In fact, never mind a little, a lot. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was only thinking of one particular piece of, of what they talk about, something that they call the contrast, mm. where it's basically you know, shit that shows up in your life that, you know, whether you call it catastrophe or, you know, something that you didn't expect or something that's not within what you're trying to create and how you can look at that as a tool to realize what you don't want, which Mm. then helps you realize what you do want. That's a good way of looking at it. Which then you can create or manifest. It's like a glitch in your matrix and you're like, yeah. And you know, or, or this is not aligned. You, you just, yeah. you, you know, so you can raise your standards. Sure. Yeah. Right. And speaking to that, you talk about alignment a lot. Yeah. Well, that, that goes into my mental chiropractic work, yeah. um, which is a term someone else gave to me to describe what I was already doing with people in like group settings. This is back when I was married. The woman I was married to was an apprentice and former therapy client of my father's, which you can imagine created quite a... <gasps> A little bit of a conflict of interest. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. (laughs) Can you tell our listeners just a little backstory on that a little bit? I know who your dad is, but maybe not all our listeners do. Yeah, that's fair. So my dad's name is Gabor Mate, uh, born in Budapest in 1944 in the 
basically in the Budapest ghetto or moved into the Budapest ghetto shortly after he was born when the either the Nazis or it was sort of the Nazi collaborating Hungarian forces forced them into it, nearly died. Uh, moved to Canada when he was 13 during the Hungarian Revolution. So, you know, went through a lot of catastrophe early in life and was shaped by it. Mm, for sure. Um, I grew up in Vancouver, British Columbia, where he and his family moved. And he has become, I'd say at this point, world famous for his work on, well, he's a healer. Or or, or he, at least he's an advocate for healer, mm. healing and a guide to healing, you could say. Uh, the topic... Excuse me, and why am I mumbling? Um, maybe there's something about speaking about my dad that triggers me. Oh. Uh, <laughs> we we say, can relate. And I should say another thing that I, I've done <laughs> recently is I wrote a best-selling book with him. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, among the topics that he's well known for is our, our uh, attention deficit disorder, the connection between the mind and body, not the connection, the unity, um, the connection between chronic illness and early trauma, the connection between early trauma and addiction. And our book is called The Myth of Normal, Trauma, Illness, and Healing in a Toxic Culture. So it's basically his magnum opus, and he mm. invited me aboard, or at least maybe I kind of invited myself and he accepted because he needed me to be his co-author on that. Mm. So he casts a big shadow, and he already did in my life before he was so visible in the world. Sure. Um, he's a big personality. You know, you could always tell he was going to make a big difference in the world. And uh, the gap between his public persona and his private person has always been pretty visible to me sure. and pretty visible to his family and pretty mm. stark. And he talks about it, you know. Um, of course, he talks about it from his point of view. But, you know, another thing he's well known for is admitting his fallibilities as a father, as a husband, uh, as a private person. So what was I saying? So, oh yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I was married. That. I was married to someone mm -hmm. who was basically apprenticing with him. You could say was trying to become his, uh, you know, the one who would take the torch from him, which was a conflict of interest. And somehow it figured into what attracted me to her. So what does that say about how much I understood myself as separate and autonomous? It says that I didn't. Mm that somehow I would gain a sense of identity by being associated with someone who loved my family so much. Well, it wasn't so much that she loved my family so much, it's that she idolized my dad. And is there a part of me that idolized my dad? Yes. You know, I no longer idolize him. I admire him, mm. and I love him, and I like working with him about 80% of the time. <laughs> Uh, that's pretty fair. good. Fair. That's, that's pretty good. Yeah, and I should say that our second book, which we're currently starting to work on, based on a workshop we've been doing for six years, is called Hello Again, A Fresh Start for Parents and Their Adult Children. Well, I'll We're going to be reading that, that one. one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Not, yeah, I'm going to get the pre-order uh, on that. Yeah. yeah. Well, I was just can, about to say, where's the pre-sale? For the pre-pre-order, you can go to YouTube and watch the, the public talks we've given on the subject. Great. There are hours yeah. and hours of us. and Would love to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like hundreds yeah. of thousands of people have watched Bookmarked. these videos. <laughs> for um, sure. And, and just... And, and just by the way, the subtitle is not a happy ending for parents and their adult children. It's a mm. fresh start. And a fresh start's going to look different for everybody. Mm. Right? So again, it's not prescriptive of what should be. It's kind of mapping the territory yeah. and leaving people at choice in, um, in how they proceed. Whereas 
this relationship between parents and adult children tends to be one of these it is what it is relationships that we just kind of survive, cope with, like accept, but not really in the in the sense of true acceptance. We tolerate it. Yes. We we live with it. Back to the mental chiropractor thing, there was a time when I was married that I was sort of apprenticing with her in his modality of uh, group therapy after ayahuasca ceremonies. Oh. Oh, you're speaking our language. Are you? Okay. I'm, am I okay? <laughs> yes. So I'm I mean, no, I've uh, never done it, yeah. but it's... Would love to. I've had two almost opportunities. Okay. I just did not... There were different circumstances that it didn't work sure. for me to like feel that this was the moment for me to drop in in that way. Well, it's got to be the moment. Yes. Yeah. And it's not for everybody. Mm. Yeah. No, one time uh, it was after Machu Picchu mm. and I just didn't have enough time yeah. in my schedule to kind of acclimate and fast and do all the things. Was that in like Pisac or uh, uh, what's that uh, town? Pisco, yeah. Yeah, Pisco. Um, yeah. No. Cusco. Cusco. Thank you. Yeah, Pisco yeah. is the drink. Um, Pisac is where the sacred <laughs> valley is. Ah, got it. And uh, sounds like Pesach. Yeah, um, I was gonna say that. <laughs> but um, and then the other time I was at a wedding in South Africa, and the the bride was um, apprenticing to become a an ayahuasca shaman, and her shaman came, and um, I had fasted and not drank. I had eaten vegetarian, no salt, all the things that they tell you they advise. I guess I should say no you sex. Know, right, no sex to have a you know real true experience and the shaman came in and he sat down and didn't say hi to any of us and ate a big piece of chicken and had a glass of wine and i said fuck that absolutely fuck that i said i am not trusting my mind body and spirit to this motherfucker i'm done i enjoy yourselves i'll meet you tomorrow where was he from Uh, i don't know he's like one of those was he white of course fuck Uh. off but that really pisses (laughs) me off he calls himself darpan (sighs) But yeah, I'm he's done. just, <laughs> just, uh, yeah, yeah. He's guruized himself, as I like to use that word I've made up. But yeah, um, yeah. Well, yes. we all know gurus never get up to any mischief. Never. No. They never. always have supreme They're integrity. Infallible. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So. Well, so <laughs> you know, fortunately, the the practitioners we were working with, they were North American mainly, but they were. Uh, at least originally, the ones my dad worked with, were, they, had extra, they had high levels of integrity and training. Um, in this case, my then wife and I were um, in Peru leading a workshop at a place called the Temple of the Way of Light, um, which I think most people consider to be one of the better places. They've had you know, some controversy, but everyone, you know, that when Westerners are involved, you're going to get customer service line complaints parents <laughs> well but yeah. men too i didn't like the bucket i was puking in <laughs> yeah. yeah or someone else was too loud when they were crying or something i mean i don't want to minimize it maybe something happened of course but yeah. anyway we were there and uh my wife it's weird for me to use that word now because right. it's mm-hmm. so it it feels like a different lifetime and um i guess it's still kind of painful but anyway she was doing the post ceremony therapy the next day in the style that my dad was doing it and i was there too doing my thing and one of the participants said you know you're not a therapist i said damn right i'm not I said you're not like your dad i said thank you but what do i do he said you're more of a mental chiropractor Mm. And I was like, I like that because I'm not exactly clear on what chiropractors do, but I know that it's not like 
come in next week and then the following week or whatever. They want to make an intervention now. They want to adjust something now mm-hmm. so that you have like, like you feel it. Mm-hmm. And you feel the difference, not just in the in the spot that they adjusted, but in the rest of the body as well, because the spine affects everything. Mm-hmm. And I saw that the way I work with people is getting their mind aligned with their intention, because to me, the intention is the vertebrae of the spine. It's, it's the thing that mm-hmm. we would all, if we could choose one part of the mind to align the rest with, it wouldn't be our feelings, it wouldn't be our thoughts, mm-hmm. God knows, uh, it wouldn't be our conscious beliefs it wouldn't be our it certainly wouldn't be our unconscious beliefs um wouldn't be our prejudices wouldn't be our expectations our assumptions no it'd be our intentions Mm. because intentions are consciously created when they're at their best the problem is often we're not even aligned with our own intentions because we don't know what they are we have hidden intentions Mm. and we haven't set conscious ones so mental chiropractic as i practice it and as far as I know, I'm the only one who practices at this point, although I'd like to write a book about it and train other people because I see no reason why it should be so specialized. Um, like I may be always the best at it, but it doesn't mean I have to be the only one. <laughs> uh, um, Very modest. No, no, well, no, I'm, I'm perfectly willing for someone to surpass me. That would be mm, interesting. Yeah. Uh, then I could get my own mind adjusted because I certainly can't do it to myself. Um, at least not quickly. So that is what mental chiropractic does. And what it requires is not like someone comes to me with like a big capital I issue. Like if someone says I have daddy issues or I'm just not happy in my life, I'll say, well, go to a coach, go to a therapist. That's a long-term thing. If someone's like, I don't know what to do with my career and I want you to give me advice, I'll say, I can't. That's not what I do. Someone has to come with a stuck point in their life, a specific thing that they have a sense is stuck, could get unstuck, and that they're open to considering the possibility that is actually their perspective on it that's keeping them stuck, not the objective circumstances. Mm. If they're even open to that a little bit and are willing to say, I want to get unstuck, which is not nothing because part of us wants to stay stuck when we are, there's always Mm. a payoff. If they can meet those three criteria, I'm stuck. I want to get unstuck. I'm willing to consider that it's me. Mm. That's my perspective that's keeping me unstuck. Then we take a walk together. That's the way I deliver it. It's called Mm. Walk with Daniel or Take a Walk with Daniel. (laughs) Walkwithdaniel.com. And we get unstuck. On another episode of Walk with Daniel. (laughs) I love it. Yeah. So essentially, you're, you're sort of helping people uncover their blind spots. Yeah, very much. Yeah. But but more than that, because I could help them under, uh, you know, have insight into their blind spots. But what's next? Right. So the setting of the intention is very important. Because then, number one, usually what happens is when someone sets an intention and I guide them to set it in a way that's particularly refined and um, concise, and it sort of meets certain criteria. Like I use the intention in a particular way. It's not some vague wish. It's not an outcome. It's not a result. It's not an aspiration or a resolution. It's my intention for this walk is, let's say, freedom. Or one person said, my intention is to find my effervescence. Mm. You know, like something tangible, an experience, something measurable and specific that we can say, definitively at the end of this walk have we achieved it have we not have we got access to it or have we not 
So once we have that, then we have a GPS for the conversation. We know that we want to go, and it's not a specific destination, but it's like the continent we're looking for, right? The island, we're like, we're, 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 we're navigating towards that or something. Then the minute that happens, people get a little down payment on it. You state an intention, and all of a sudden you get, tip. what typically happens is, oh, there it is for a second. Mm. Mm. It'll taste because the truth is it's not somewhere out there. It's in you. It's just missing an action. And the minute you call it forth, you know, Rachel, you know how powerful our speaking is, you know, it wakes up and it's like, Oh, hi, here I am. But then of course what happens next is that all the impediments to it assert themselves again. Mm. It's like, Oh no, hold, hold on a second. What do you think you're doing? So at that moment, then we can examine, well, what are those? How are you looking at this? What is your internal framework? What's the logic of it? Then once we can debunk that, I mean, because that's the blind spot, then it's time to consider alternate perspectives, other possibilities, and to see which of them you find compelling. And then, you know, often at the end, I'll give them like a simple suggested piece of homework that they can do to start like architecture for that new intention so that it becomes real in their life and not just an insight not just aha i had a blind spot you know i've done lots of that like announcing that i've found my blind spots (laughs) and jack shit changes right Right. is it navel gazing are you actually taking action yeah or or, or worse self-puffery self-flattery self-congratulation for how insightful i am Right. You know, mm. and then wanting to share that with the world as if that's inspiring. It's not inspiring. What's inspiring is I'm doing something about it. Yeah, mm. that's why I stopped doing spoken word poetry. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm standing on the soapbox and not doing a damn thing. If it really bothers me that much, I need to step down and go out there. So. I'm standing on a soapbox using upward inflections a lot as if that's raising questions and leaving people inspired. And I take long pauses and then... (laughs) And really inside, I know I'm full of shit. Yes. So full (laughs) of shit. Apologies to our massive spoken word audience. Um, (laughs) We love you guys. Look, I write musicals. You want me to parody... You want me to take yeah. the piss out of musical theater? I can do it all day. Somewhere in this apartment or maybe my parents' house, there is a CD of my spoken word works called Life in G. I'm going to so, need that. Um, Somewhere in my parents' basement, there is a <laughs> box birthday. with about 200 copies of my solo album recorded uh, 22 years ago called Through These Parts Alone, mm-hmm. which was basically my view of myself for most of my life. There's my airtight story about myself. And on the cover, there's me sitting in a field, but you can barely see me because I'm like 100 yards away. Mm. <laughs> and I'm just sitting there cross-legged. Wow. And, you know, that, that was my self-concept. Well, my album cover, um, we decided to paint my whole body white, uh, kabuki style, not shibari <laughs> or bukkake. Um, we mix those up. Yeah, we, we sometimes confuse those words. Um, and my friend, Lauren. Or Buto, right? Oh, right. Wouldn't that be another one? Yes. But yeah, certainly not Bukaki. <laughs> certainly not Bukaki. <laughs> Only on weekends. No, we, we had an episode where we were trying to talk about shibari, you know, rope, the Japanese rope tying, and then it, somehow it turned into, I said, kabu- <laughs> she said Kabuki, or I said Kabuki, and then I was like, no, it's that other word, Bukaki. And then, yeah, okay. Two girls, one poem. Yeah. <laughs> yes. 
That yes, was us. Yes, yes. That was us. So um, my friend Lauren, who used to live in this apartment that we're sitting in, then wrote on my body like excerpts from my poem. And then we puffed out my hair and we took very intense photos. Oh my God. That's kind of cool. <laughs> my birthday's coming up. So I know what I want. Oh, I will. Okay. We'll, we'll dig through the crates. Right. Literally. I'm it's gonna, probably sitting in my parents' basement. I'm going to need that. Need it. Put that behind the paywall, yeah. Incredible. Oh. Yeah, we could sell those those bitches. Jeez. Well, I guess yeah. It's it's retro at this point. <laughs> Who even has a CD player? I mean, really. Wow. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. my thinking from this conversation, even so far, has it's like a constellation of things. Like you've reminded me of so many different things, and I don't know where to start. I'm always interested in the idea of. Uh, and you sort of touched on it a while ago, the idea of like recreating your family of origin Mm -hmm. and recreating those dynamics. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you talk a little bit about that in relation to your work? Well, what's interesting is you used the word constellation right before you asked Mm -hmm. that question. And there's a modality of, I guess, therapy um, or self-inquiry that I've experienced a few times that I thought was very powerful called family constellation work. Yeah. Where you, you know, you're in a group and... Basically, internal a, a, family systems. No, that's different. Oh, internal okay. family systems is a style of one-on-one therapy uh, founded by Dick Schwartz, who yes. we, we quote extensively in, yes. in the Myth of Normal. Family constellation work is more like psychodrama, like but you're creating tableaus with other people, and you know you embody one character, sometimes yourself, sometimes someone else in your family history, and other people represent other people or other mm. forces inside you and they position themselves in certain ways mm. to represent certain dynamics or historical yes. events and then you're moved you know then the picture transforms and you have the experience of shifting not really rewriting history but in a sense redeeming it and uh, rewriting the story about it it's mm. very powerful um uh, the connection of family of origin stuff to my work. Well, you know, I always stress to my clients in mental chiropractic that I'm not a therapist. And even in my work with my dad, or maybe especially in my work with my dad, I stress that I'm not a therapist because that's his thing. Where his work leaves off, mine picks up. So in the mental chiropractic space, when I'm walking with people, basically family of origin stuff will come up because once we uncover their habitual ways of looking at things, especially Mm -hmm. at themselves, I can confidently say to them, look, you come by this honestly. I don't even have to ask you about your childhood, Mm. but I know, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, but I never am, that in your family of origin, you had to take care of everybody, including your parents. Mm. And that if you showed your vulnerability, you were afraid that would destabilize the whole thing. Mm. Or, you know, that you were the black sheep or something, something, something. You know, or something terrible happened and you don't have to tell me what it is. And they always say, yep, because these things aren't random. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, now if it, if I was my dad, I would guide them through an extended compassionate inquiry, which is the name of his modality that he's developed and trains other therapists in. I have no patience for that. <laughs> <laughs> I I have empathy up to a point, but my interest... <laughs> Talking Heads have this great song uh, that uh, we're including on the next episode of my podcast, which I can talk about separately, um, called No Compassion. And 
one of the, you know, the, the lyrics are like, so many people have their problems. I'm not interested in their problems. Mm. I guess I've experienced some problems. Uh, <laughs> you know, my interest level's dropping. My interest level is dropping. And, you know, I can relate to that. <laughs> and of course, I'm sure there's many people who have felt that way about me throughout my life when mm. I, whenever I'm spouting off about my problems. But it's not that I'm not interested in their problems. I'm interested in, I'm not a problem solver. I'm a problem dissolver. Mm. I'm interested in them seeing through the problem and having a better problem. Mm. I'm interested in them um, seeing the problem differently so that they see that the way they were framing it was the problem. Right. I mean, Rachel and I talk a lot about stories. Yeah. I mean, we all create our own stories. Mm -hmm. We all create our own narratives and become so committed to those narratives that they're Mm -hmm. self-perpetuating. Well, because we're always looking for evidence for them and we always find it. And sometimes we create it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you're also reminding me of, and I'm sure you're familiar with these, you know, techniques and modalities. We've both done EMDR. Mm -hmm. Um, And the idea of that you were talking about, like rewriting the dynamic, that's been one of those, the most powerful things for me in EMDR work Mm. is going back to the memory and saying, well, what if someone could have given you what you needed. Sure. What would that look like? Sure, absolutely. And almost creating that memory, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, that's beautiful. Yeah. Unfortunately for me, that has limited applicability, not applicability, but usefulness, because mm. anytime that anything that, and I'm, I don't think I'm typical, this is just sort of my, somehow I'm, I'm inoculated against it, maybe because I'm a storyteller, a, a, a dramatist, you know, mm. or maybe it's just my, my, my smarty pants personality, but anything that involves pretending anything, mm. I just see through it. I can, it's like, I can see the wizard behind the curtain or the mm. man behind the curtain. Mm. I went to a, um, a family, um, systems therapy. IFS. IFS, internal right. Family internal family family. I went to an internal family systems mm-hmm. therapist recommended to me by Dick Schwartz himself. Wow. And I had one session. I'm like, man, I can't do this. I see the strings on the marionettes. Like, mm. and he's like, well, what part of you is seeing that? And I'm like, like, okay, man. Okay. <laughs> Like, <laughs> yeah, well, know, so to be fair, I think uh, the ontological work that we did, I think, kind of uh, spoils you a little bit in a maybe. certain sense because it's so like direct. Oh, here's a story. Like, this is what happened. This is the story that I created. Oh, shit. I don't have to have that story anymore. Go. And for me, having done that kind of work first and then therapy, I tend to go through f- therapy very quickly. Right. Because I also don't have the patience to be like, <laughs> and, and my, I did have a therapist who tried to do IFS with me and I was like, no, nah, not for yeah. me, girl. What I'm discovering in my therapy now, which I, I need, yeah, is that I can often try to bypass the emotional step of feeling the grief, the sadness, because I can see, th- because I can, you know, because I know better. Oh, the intellectualizing. The intellectualizing the, yeah. and the, like, I want to have a breakthrough. I don't want to, like, hang out with this. But until <laughs> I tend to, and this is where, you know, my dad's approach really excels in this, I think. You know, my therapist is really an advocate for my core self. Not necessarily my wounded child self, but the core self that was always there. And gets very indignant on my own behalf when I dismiss it. Mm. And that's awesome, you know? And I think with all the ontological work, because it's a little dry and um, 
kind of unsparing and ruthless in its compassion. I have a tendency to call it masculine versus absolutely therapy masculine. I find more feminine. Absolutely I, yeah. masculine. And it can bypass things, yeah. you know? It's in a rush to get to the breakthrough. Yes. You know? mm. Yeah, it is limited also in that Also because sense. the particular organization we were working with was uh, very much about their results and yeah, kind of not all uh, that. Yes, yeah, everything. All, there, was, there were all kinds of <laughs> blind spots there. Sure. Um, but uh, quite aside from that, yeah, I, th- I think in the mental chiropractic work, the purpose of, of touching on it, I just lightly touch on it, is mm. to say you come by it honestly. So can you get off your own case? But also notice it's not about this situation. This is mm. pre-existing. So if someone is like, I feel so guilty because, you know, I fucked up my children. I'm like, when did you ever not feel guilty? Which mm. is one of my dad's type questions, you know. Ooh. And what's yeah. the guilt about? Well, the guilt is a self-enforcing cop on the beat to keep us suppressing our feelings so that we can take care of our parents so that we won't lose the relationship which we 100% non-negotiably need now again that's borrowed from my dad and I only like to borrow from my dad for about 30 seconds at a time mm. or I start to feel a little woozy no, that, and then I that, get back to my shit but. that was all we needed believe me yeah no, it's, it's it was perfect <laughs> and I mean like I I'm, I keep reaching back into the the pot to something you said like eight minutes ago but um because I'm like um (laughs) the use of psychedelics like the way that so I've used them extensively for the purposes of like emotional work and and psychological health and mainly for those reasons and I've talked to a lot of people about it and people that are interested in doing them who maybe haven't before and either they have done therapy or they haven't done therapy um and a lot of the times what I'll say like you talk about the like um the bypassing and intellectualizing feelings and things my experience is that you cannot do that on psychedelics you're you're my experience is that there's no way to do it like it just the emotion I am into the emotion is there oh, i am 100%. in touch with it there's it no emotional bypass full, you can't no i fully feel everything yes you do and it's so cathartic and healing because you are chemically forced to sit with i feel it's a chemical reaction in which you're you are made to sit with the feeling well or you're made to sit with the resistance to the feeling Ooh. and to suffer because of it and like ayahuasca, certainly one of the things it taught me is you can try to resist way, the way it is, <laughs> but reality is going to win, but only a hundred percent of the time. And there are consequences to that and you're living them already. And so at a certain point it wears you down. Now, if you only have one, many people do one ayahuasca ceremony and say, oh, it was terrible. I had a terrible experience, mm. but that's because they're not a, because they didn't mm. go back again. Often the second experience is quite different. Hmm. but more more profoundly, they're not recognizing the, the lesson in it, hmm. which is it's showing you something about how numb you've been or how rigid you've been or how uh, identified with your mind you've been. You know. So it's, it's showing you something that you don't want to see. Hmm. I will say, though, there may be no emotional pa- bypass for you, for hmm. most people. There is a danger of a very... Um, a potent kind of bypass, Go which on. is spiritual bypass. Mm. Many, many, many people in the psychedelic world, including these gurus that we're talking about who abuse people or don't act with integrity, mm. are in the grips of 
spiritual bypass, which is to say, again, in, in A Course in Miracles, which is a text that yes. I, I find really compelling, you know, uh, despite or maybe, you know, because of all the Jesus stuff, like it's a very different way of understanding what Christ is, you know, mm-hmm. and being Jewish at first, I sort of rolled my eyes at it. But Same. the woman who, quote unquote, dictated it was Jewish, you know. Uh, and I don't have to believe in that stuff to understand the the value in it mm. and, and the truth that it's pointing to. And one of the things that, you know, Course in Miracles teachers talk about, I think I asked Marianne Williamson about this when I had dinner next to her in Orlando a few months ago, wow. which was a funny story. I was sitting in between, I was sitting in between <laughs> her and Margaret Trudeau. Oh my God. No big deal. Justin's mother. No big deal. No, no big, big deal. deal. Yeah, it was, I mean, that was a wild table, I'll tell you. Um <laughs> But level confusion is the, is the term, Ooh. meaning that at a certain level, and I said this earlier, right, there are levels of spiritual realization, levels of reality where everything is empty and meaningless, mm. where, ultimately, um, there, where ultimately we could say that all the suffering in the world is an illusion in that it's born of human illusions. I mean, Course in Miracles goes so far as to say there is no war there is no genocide on that highest level that god in us doesn't actually recognize that mm. now that is it's one thing to say that but if you take it down to any level that's any way human mm. you could become a holocaust denier like that right right because sh- shit does happen on the human level and we do suffer so you see many people blissed out on spiritual truisms mm. not dealing with their pain because they've superseded it and many of these people are kind of hooked on these experiences as peak experiences Mm. they love the catharsis they love the tears of gratitude streaming down Mm. their face they love the humble bow and the deep you know resonance with all living creatures what they don't love is living in their human life and facing that they're an asshole (laughs) (laughs) like we like we all are yeah you know so i think everything has its potential Everything yes. has its dangers, its risks. Everything Certainly. should come with a little instruction manual. That you know, the 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 work you and I used to do, Rachel, should absolutely come with its own instruction manual. Uh, and it's some of the most powerful work I've ever done. Same. And it factors very much into mental chiropractic. I learned yeah. how to kind of coach people from that. No, I can, I can hear it in in what you say, but right. there there's so many good tidbits that you're reminding me of that have just sort of become a way of life for me that, you know, oftentimes, you know, my last therapist was like, you know, Rachel, you'd make a very good therapist. (laughs) I was like, thank you. Uh, I don't want to be one, but you know, but when I was actually reading your website uh, about the mental chiropractic, I was like, Oh yeah, that I could do. Yeah. That seems interesting because it it is a, a different cut and it's not you know the belaboring or that's a, not the right word but because it has a negative context but like you said like the longer sort of uncovering and telling of the story that's more therapeutic in nature this is a you know a, a bit more efficient well I this guess. it is efficient but the reason i do it it's funny it comes back to what i said at the beginning in terms of having everything that i do everything i commit my time to everything i identify with, I guess you could say, but I don't really identify with any of these things. They're just things I do. But everything I, 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 I spend time and energy on has to be aligned with my purpose, which is to say I have to love it. Mm-hmm. It's not just good altruistic work in the world. I can give a shit about that, actually. I'm very self-interested. I want to love everything I do because then I'm going to do it really well. Mm. Yeah. And if I want other people 
to love their lives, I got to be, you got to apply your own oxygen mask first. So what is that thing? What do I love more than anything else? Well, what I've distilled it down to, and, you know, actually, um, two former instructors, let's say, in, in the work you and I used to do, have developed this work after they left and, and they created their own um, workshop, which I've, with their permission, kind of borrowed their framing of this word calling. Mm. What is my calling in the world? Most people say my calling is to be a nurse or a teacher or a musician or an actor or whatever else or a podcaster. Um, has, ever, has anyone ever said I that? I don't think it's my calling. <laughs> I'm just wondering if any human being has ever uttered oh, that sentence. Oh, God, I'm sure they have. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, thoughts and prayers to them. Yes. Uh, <laughs> but um, Bless. But the way we're... <laughs> <laughs> the, the way uh, bless their heart the way we're using the way I'm using the term the way I learned to use it is not an activity but it's more of a purpose it's and every single time someone asks me about this I quote Leonard Cohen mm. and I'm always complaining this song is covered way too much and I quote it way too much but it just the first line just absolutely nails this idea of calling I will I heard there was a secret chord that David played and it pleased the Lord each of us has a secret chord that harmonizes perfectly with who we are. How do we know what it is? Because it pleases the part of us that is the most expansive, the most um, unconditional, mm. the most you know resonant, the brightest, the most brilliant, the part we love, the part we love to be, the part that when it when that chord, you know, when that mallet beats that gong. Mm. We have no problems. We disappear as a concern for ourselves. Mm. So what is that for me? Well, I, you know, the, I've gone through different iterations of this, but the way I have it phrased right now is that my calling is people are crystalline. Now, it used to be crystal clear. It used to be free and clear. But I actually realized that like the word crystalline, it might sound esoteric, but what I mean by it, and only I'm the, I'm the only one who has to know what it means because that's like, you know, I have to remind myself of it. So I, I but the way... You know, it's got multiple meanings. Number one, crystal clear, right? Things that were muddy become translucent. You can see through things. Like I said about seeing through problems rather than trying to like wrestle with them and solve them and resisting them and them persisting, right? right. Mm. Um, crystalline also means well-defined. Crystals have, you know, sharp edges, you know? So being able to separate things, you know, having strong, distinct lines, Mm. right distinctions what else well crystals are more precious than rocks so there is a moment that i love to be present for and in my mental chiropractic work it usually happens around minute 55 of a 100 minute walk or a 70 70 minute walk with the 100 minute walks it happens around minute 80 where something just crystallizes and they see it and they can't unsee it yeah. And for whatever reason, that's what I love. That's what I'm here for. That's what I'm, you know, I'm here for that, as we say. Mm. And so that purpose, that calling applies equally well to everything else I do. Why am I doing a podcast about song lyrics? Because I love giving pe the ex people the experience of 
really getting oh that's what this song is about like and the next time they hear it it like it just kind of shines and shimmers for them mm. um why do i write musicals because i want people to have the experience of having life distilled down to like a crystal clear essence that's what happens in songs in the theater you have to crystallize a moment a thought a character down to its essence choose your words very carefully mm. have the music and the words harmonize perfectly the work i do with my dad i wouldn't do it if i didn't think very highly of you know the crystalline power of his work but also wanting it to be more crystalline than it would be if he was writing it alone and then in the hello again book which is not my dad's book with me as a co-writer but it's 50 50 it's probably going to be daniel and gabor mate if we do it alphabetically <laughs> and also i'm sort of more the, dri- the driving force of that workshop because yeah. it's kind of mm. more urgent for me right yeah we're trying to make something that's very muddy for people mm crystal clear like to see it clearly or at least more clear so that we have a chance of making choices around it so Mm. i don't remember how i got onto that topic but that is the the way that that is the secret chord that pleases the divine in me and so i insist on it which means aha i only do it because i love it because it's fun and when it's not, I don't do it. I had a walk earlier this morning that I aborted at the 30-minute mark because I said I cannot help you by doing the thing that I do. I could try to strain and contort myself to do something else, but that's not what I do. Yeah. You know? And so, and I've done that a handful of times. Mm. So you have to be, you know, it, it, what it creates is accountability to myself and to others for being rigorous about that because if it's it, it's it. And if it ain't it, it ain't it. And that's it. Yeah. And I, I imagine that, you know, and you did touch on this earlier, but the, really the person has to be willing to hear, right? And willing to be open to something else, right? Yeah. Otherwise, it's just going to keep repeating itself or that's not the modality that that's going to help them. Oh, absolutely. I mean, in this case, it was more a case of they were looking for a solution to a problem that doesn't have a solution. Ooh. And it has no good options, but they have to make a choice. Yeah. And they already know that. But I think they were hoping I would come up with a fourth option for them. <laughs> Some <laughs> secret third thing. Exactly. Yeah. You're and a I magician. Just, <laughs> right. You know, and, and maybe there are practitioners out there who could, like a life coach. I don't know. But I just, I don't have time for that. Yeah. <laughs> you know? They might need some ayahuasca. Possibly. Uh, it's very unlikely this person would, would opt for that. <laughs> And by the way, I'm not doing psychedelics anymore. The last psychedelic I did, oh. I did an ayahuasca ceremony in 2018. That's it. I've, I've got no interest in it at the moment, not because I think poorly of it, on the contrary, yeah. but because where I'm at in my life right now, the kinds of insights and breakthroughs that mean the most to me and that make the biggest change are the ones that I have while I'm in my ordinary state of consciousness mm. that don't require some peak experience or deep emotional catharsis but Mm. rather a kind of just seeing another thing and making it important enough to put it into practice and finding a way to put it into practice and often when i did ayahuasca and other psychedelics ketamine um mdma i'm talking all in the therapeutic Mm -hmm. context that was the missing piece how to apply it yeah. It was just another piece of knowledge or insight or experience to throw on the wood pile of what I know about myself. And I was a tenured expert on the subject of myself, mm. which is not escaping the ego at all. It's just kind of fortifying it. Yes. Uh, that's interesting. That's yeah, that's so spot on. And I think that's actually why I haven't really been strongly called to ayahuasca for that third time, because I'm 
constantly kind of looking in this state and then you know whether it's a recontextualizing like I had this recent epiphany with my mom right who after I did EMDR I realized had you know created a lot of trauma for me I went in thinking I had all these near-death experiences like car accidents and things and it turned out it was all my mom um but uh and it took me I had written to you about this like I was like oh do do I like her anymore Oh, ooh, mm. you know, and then uh, having done the like, okay, what, what is my story? Where can I be responsible? You know, kind of walking myself through steps that I know that work. And then I actually kind of came to this powerful moment for myself where I was like, what if I create the context of mothering my mother in a powerful way? Not like in a like, oh God, this is an obligation. And not in a like role reversal when you're a kid. Yeah, no, uh, none at of your that. your own expense kind of way. Yeah, no, more of like... How if uh, how about I give her the love and compassion and listening that I wanted? Mm-hmm. What would that be like? And since I don't plan on having any children, this could be kind of fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, just to, just to try it on, like like it's a suit or a dress. Like, and, it, and does it fit? It's pretty good. That's great. Well, if not it gonna lie. If it doesn't cost you, yeah, and if it doesn't it, cost it, me anything. Well, that's great. Mm-hmm. So a, a few things about what you said because there's a constellation of things. Number one. It's funny, I'm not particularly like spiritually oriented. I don't have literal beliefs in spirits or whatever, but I've had enough experiences with ayahuasca to believe that there is a spirit in that plant. There's some kind of conscious intelligence. Mm. Mm. And it's a teacher and it's a healer and it's powerful and it's a, you know, it's a bitch goddess. It'll <laughs> it'll it's a boss bitch. Yeah. Ayahuasca is a boss bitch and you defy it at your will. But that means it's going like to beckon you when it's time. Yeah. Now, if you resist it, it'll keep beckoning you. If yeah. it's not beckoning you, it's not the time. So that's number one. Number two, what was number two? Well, I'll go to, oh yeah, yeah. So number two is you were looking for a way to be responsible for it. You know, I think sometimes, not 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 in your case, because it sounds like you found an empowering way to to switch your attitude and to, to, to realize you were resourced enough to give this woman something. And just mm. like at the end of our at the end of our parents' lives, sometimes we become their caretakers. You're choosing to extend to her the love you had wanted, which and you know it's better to give than receive, as long as you're not giving at your own expense. So you're doing that. Mm-hmm. For me, and I've talked about this in the public talks at the Hello Again workshop, which are on YouTube, the most recent one especially. Part of being responsible means being responsible for. I'm angry. Being responsible mm. for I hate you sometimes or there's hate in my heart mm. towards you. Now, of course, what's underneath the hate? Grief mm. and disappointment and under that, just undying love, of course, because I came into this world expecting a certain thing mm. and I didn't get it because I couldn't get it from these people because of what they'd been through, right? But until I'm responsible for and own and don't try to rush through necessarily and don't judge uh, that I'm either going to push it away and then have it explode or mm. I'm going to just indulge it in ways that are like victimy and, and ineffective. But if I can really own, my God, there is just, there is, there is, there is some venom in me. Mm. That's, that's what being responsible looks like for me in certain moments. So, Again, there's no one prescription for any of these truths. Now, 
And yes, and le- I was giving you the Reader's Digest version, of course. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure you've gone, been through many spaces to get there. <laughs> mm. The other thing I wanted to say, because you were talking about realizing that, in fact, many of these traumas were because of your mom. So on Friday, me and Carice Van Houten, who is my co-host for the podcast Let's Get Lyrical with Carice and Daniel, people might recognize the name or the face from Game of Thrones. She played Melisandre, the red sorceress oh cool. uh, yeah what's funny is whenever i drop that name most people are like oh i've never watched it but i'm like well so who did it was the big, most popular thing on television <laughs> but anyway she's a dutch actress very good actress i've also seen her in i mean she played tom cruise's wife in the movie valkyrie and she's done all kinds of really good stuff including in in, in dutch and we met recently and we decided to start a podcast together so but we had my dad on the live stream and we were playing songs about trauma, illness, and healing, which are the three words in the subtitle of our, uh, of our book. And one of the songs we played, and most of them he'd never heard of, and some of them blew his mind, like played him a Kendrick Lamar song from the latest album about healing and transformation and, and, and multi-generational trauma and sexual abuse and, and, and you know cultural trauma. It just blew his mind. He was speechless. And Suzanne Vega, Luca, Mm. was really surprising to him. He didn't know that pop music had such substance to it. Mm. Ooh, yeah. But one song I played was Kelly Clarkson, Because of You, which... I used to use that in acting class <laughs> as a way to tap into my whole shit with my mom. Well, it's a really <laughs> powerful song. And I had dismissed it myself because it was, you know, she came from American Idol. And this was the stage at a certain... I think I was in my 20s or early 30s where I was like, I'm over pop music. These millennials don't know from 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 genuine pop music the 80s was the best blah 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 music died when kurt cobain shot himself i'm not interested in anything <laughs> it's a chauvinistic response but it's a way of just kind of laundering sure. laundering Appreciate i'm getting older honesty. i'm getting older i'm <laughs> yeah. not a kid anymore i'm out of touch uh. and i'm afraid that i'm irrelevant so you can't fire me because i quit <laughs> which is also a kurt cobain lyric but so we played it for him and Part of me was personally invested in his response. And when he said at the end, he's like, wow, I'm surprised this was a number one hit. I mean, it's very powerful. I mean, of course, there is a a strong victim mentality to it. Like, uh, you know, I am these ways because of you. I actually interrupted him at a certain point. I'm like, now hold on. I'm going to play the devil's advocate, not even the devil's advocate, because I believe every word I'm going to say. Does this song take her all the way through the healing journey? No, it's Mm -hmm. one song. But I'll tell you what it's doing. It's being absolutely faithful to where she's at, which is naming the thing. Hmm. And even, and again, this is another case of level confusion. Because if you take my dad's work all the way to to, uh, to its end, we can see that there's no fault and that trauma is not what happens to us, but what happens inside of us. And that there's multi generational trauma Mm. and that her mother probably and her father had much more acute traumas than her or maybe not but they certainly were traumatized they were limited but the statement because of you i never stray too far from the sidewalk because of you i always play on the safe side so i don't get hurt by the way all those uh, those s's in there the alliteration is like a really it's a great lyric you know i never stray too far from the sidewalk i always play on the safe side i said those are accurate descriptions of what happened inside her as a result of as a result of what as a result of growing up with these people yeah Mm. so you're hearing fault in it i'm hearing an accurate assessment and as carice then said 
probably the previous step in her life was saying, oh, no, it's all my fault. It's because of me. Mm. Maybe even protecting her parents. So this is a breakthrough moment. And there are multiple breakthroughs on the healing journey. Right. And I want to honor every single fucking one of them. And this is just one song. And this is just one song. Yeah. You yeah. know, you could make a concept album or a musical. And this would be at a maybe this would be like the act one closer. Yeah. But it has to happen this way. Yeah. And what I was noticing about my dad is that he, in some ways, wants it to be one way. He wants, like, it seemed to me, either, or maybe he was, like, triggered by it because I was there. But I think also to, well, never mind him. For me, it's perfectly all right. In fact, it's mandatory to be where you're at Mm. and not rush through to whatever the Instagram meme says about forgiveness. You know, like, as, (laughs) as, as Shakespeare said, the quality of mercy is not strained, which means... You know, it droppeth as the gentle rain from heaven. It's grace. Mm. It comes when we're ready, maybe when we're willing, but we can't will it. And so I think it's a powerful healing song, not if we take it literally as like a stopping point, Mm. but it's certainly a rest stop on that highway. Certainly. Yeah, I had a really interesting conversation recently with one of my oldest friends, and I've had a lot of um, epiphanies recently about anger. And how useful it is mm-hmm. of an emotion. Mm-hmm. And that for most of my young adult life and adult life, how I avoided it as like a bad emotion. It's bad to be angry. Like like we should be, you know, the Zen Buddhist monk, you know. Um, the Zen Buddhist monk can sit with his anger and yes, not suppress it. Yes. So I found that um, very useful and exactly what you're saying of a mandatory part of the process to sit with the anger and to express it in a healthy and safe way. But do you know what's crazy? Yeah. Actually, in the myth of normal, we have a chapter called the four A's and the five compassions. And the third of the four A's is anger, healthy Mm -hmm. anger as a healing principle. It has to happen. And my dad's whole work is about how people who suppress their anger and become too nice get chronic illness, yep. get autoimmune disease, get cancer, right? And there's evidence for that. Yep. So, but, but what one of my beefs with him is you preach that you like, that you, that, not that you like it, that it's necessary and you want to see your patients, especially the super nice ones, access their healthy anger, mm. you know, and particularly women are conditioned not to be angry. Oh. But when my anger shows up, whether it's healthy or unhealthy, you don't like the look of it. You just don't, it's, it's not to your taste. Mm. You're threatened by it, which, is, which means that there's no anger I could express, which you'd be receptive to. Mm. Well, that's fine. <laughs> but I'm certainly not going to gaslight myself into thinking I need to shape it into a form that you like. Mm. You yeah, know? maybe you have to go express it to somebody else. Maybe I do, or maybe I have to express <laughs> it to him and then keep my distance. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And tell him why. Yeah. And there's been times when that had to happen. And then often, once I calm down, and because often I can be kind of uh, sharp and not passive aggressive, but sort of snide aggressive, like sharp aggressive mm. in a way that's designed to hurt, mm. to, to pinch, to wound. And that's coming from a very young part of me. I, was, I did not become the nice kid. I became the excitable, precocious kid, but I also became the the clever cutting kid, you know, Mm. as a way of defending myself against my parents because they respected intellect. So, but once, and he really obviously hates that because, (laughs) well, well, no, but when your child is acting, when your adult child, when your 47-year-old child is acting like a a hurt three-year-old, 
he will sometimes rightly say, when do, when do I get off the hook? Like, when is this, mm. is this like, like, what's the statute of limitations on the fact that, you know, I wasn't the perfect father? Fair enough. But once I get through that stage and realize, okay, that was not effective. Mm-hmm. And hopefully I'll get to the point someday where I don't even have to have that stage where I can catch it, hold my tongue, settle myself, express the unhealthy anger to someone else. But then I come back and I express it in a much more healthy, vulnerable way. And he tends to hear it. Mm. Yeah. You know? That's when they can hear it. Yeah. Right. Because they don't feel like they're being attacked. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Mm. Well, wow. We could have five episodes with you. Certainly. Holy shit. Um, but oh my God. <laughs> Maybe uh, but it's we time. do have to edit this. So, you know. Maybe it's time to do the big deck energy yes. cards. Would you like to shuffle my Oh my idea? gosh. I will. So this is, uh, yeah, this is the portion where uh, we do the big deck energy cards. Okay. So just uh, whenever your intuition uh, feels the moment, tell her to. Do you always pick a different one? Yeah, we, it's like tarot. We let the audience member, uh, sorry, the the guest. Oh, I see. It'll be up to me. Okay. When she stops, kind of like you're having a reading. Right. So I get to say when? Yeah. Stop. You chose whore. He got upright whore. Upright whore Fabulous. is what you have chosen. Okay. Again, this is this is just a fun way to take back words. Um, yeah, you may not like my answer. Great. Great. We can't wait. Well, we'll we'll give you. Uh, so the, this is our definition of whore. Great. Uh, a person who enjoys pleasure and celebrates it. Mm. Okay. This is difficult to say because I think what I'm about to say has been grouped under a term that I can't stand, which is sex negative, Mm. which implies that I'm negative about sex. Mm. I'm against it. I'm very much for it. I wish there was more of it, certainly in my life. Mm. Um, I don't mind saying that I'm an attention whore. Mm. See, to me, a whore, look, if women want to take back words that have been used to oppress them. Mm. Far be it from me to tell them they shouldn't. Really. If it actually gives you a sense of empowerment, if, you know, certainly black people have done that, mm-hmm. and more power to them, and also that word has become just a fantastic tool in lyrics. I mean, it's, it's musical. It, it works really well in hip-hop music when black people use it, mm-hmm. you know. So... So, but, but just for myself, it's not mine to reclaim. Mm. The history of the word, like the history of the N-word, is truly about women being used and abused. Mm. Women being put in situations where selling their bodies was the only choice because of economic oppression. Mm. There's a real class and colonial history to prostitution, which is a word I still use. I know sex work is the, is the vogue. But I know women who have exited the sex trade who, who insist on the word prostitution, that they were prostituted. It happened to them. Mm. Is there choice involved? Sure, there's choice involved. But every choice happens in a context. And women who end up in that industry, more often than not, much more often than not, were born into a situation with limited choices, right? It's not the thing most people would wish for their daughters, if they're honest, okay? So... I would love to call someone who loves pleasure a hedonist, uh, an erotic person, not neurotic, erotic. I would love to, I mean, I would be happy calling them all kinds of things. For me, the use of the word whore would be in the non-sexual sense. Mm. I'm an attention whore. Mm. 
okay, I'm whoring myself to the theater industry. I'll, I'll write the, you know, the, the next uh, Britney Spears musical because <laughs> because it's a because I wouldn't do it except for the money, and the money is enough. That's the sense in which I'm comfortable with myself using it. If a if a if a partner asked me to call her a dirty whore or something, I'd leave, not because I judge her, but because I can't get my head and my heart around using language that's been used to demean women and condition them to think that what they're good for is their bodies. And it, and actually, if you look back in the history of prostitution, how much quote unquote enjoyment were women getting from that? Maybe some, maybe with some tricks, with some Johns, with some clients, not mostly. The woman needs the money more than the man needs the orgasm. And thus it's a power situation where he gets to call the shots and her healthy no has to be suppressed for survival reasons. So I know that's kind of a heavy answer to your question. And again, no judgment, no shade to how people use their language. But for me, I would want to bury that word in the ground personally, except, except again, to use in a lighthearted way that we can equally apply to men and women. Look, between friends, any word, I'll call someone a Nazi, I'll call someone a, you know, like, like but again, between, between intimates, between friends, with mm. humor or whatever, go for it. It doesn't bother me. But in terms of like reclaiming it in the larger culture, it worries me, words like that, because they, I, I, don't, I don't think we're far, also, I don't think we're far enough afield from, from I think that history is still with us today. Slavery has been abolished. Using women for sex with money as the substitute for real consent has not been abolished. Pornography is still a thing. Women are being called whores on, on tape for men's pleasure, men they will never meet. So is it cool for a man to call himself a feminist? I don't know. I don't know if I'm a feminist, but in terms of how I feel about it, I don't feel like that is far enough in the past for me to feel like there's anything to reclaim first we have to abolish it first we have to not abolish it but abolish the reality that it still represents so yeah that's that's what i would say yeah i mean i think that's i think that's certainly um a legitimate reaction from a straight cis white man yeah. i think that's that's understandable um and i know gay cis and gay trans mm -hmm. women women of color mm-hmm who I'm actually almost quoting mm. when I say this. Mm. So just, I mean, not for nothing, like that, that I don't know that what I'm saying is exclusively coming from my removed identity from the, mm. the, the groups to whom that this affects, right. because there are, you know, women of color who have organized abolitionist groups trying to abolish the sex trade all over the world in third world countries as well. It's not the dominant thing in the in in the narrative these days, especially not in mainstream culture. But but your point is is well taken mm -hmm. because I am that I can't right. deny that I am that. Right. I mean, I think like the argument can be can be made for many words. I mean, like yes, is slavery abolished? Yes, but we still have state sanctioned killing of people of color, 100%. and we still have, you know, our justice system is a type of modern day slavery. And there I are mean, and there are black people who would right. never use the word and who think it's right. it, it's detrimental. Certainly. And 
You know, I think like these arguments can be made for all of these words, and that's why we like to have the discussion, mm-hmm. you yeah. know? I mean, I had a really wonderful conversation with Shibley Quarterman the other day about how she she does cam work and, um, you know, OnlyFans and stuff like that, and she had someone, a woman, a well-intentioned woman DM her because she has a child and this is like a very like profitable thing that she enjoys and has chosen to do. Mm -hmm. And the woman said, Hey, well, you know what? Do what you got to do, right? You got to feed your kid. And she was like, "Mm, it's not like that for me. It's something that I'm choosing to do because I enjoy it. And like, that is certainly not everyone's experience. Yes. There are people that are being sex trafficked and abused in the sex trades. Absolutely. And I think that's why it's important that we have these conversations about yeah, these words. Absolutely. Yeah. Just two points. Number one, the abolitionists would say, that's fine. You're choosing it. Mm. There are global consequences for women that this industry exists and you're in a privileged position to be able to. Certainly. You know, and it's not the majority of people who have that, that ability. Mm. So again, the class element. Yes. And they would also point out that prostitution was never a thing in indigenous communities until the colonialists got here. Well, I mean, it's certainly a product of capitalism. That's for sure. Or or at least modernity or at least patriarchy. Mm. People say it's the world's oldest oldest profession. Bullshit. Midwifery is the world's oldest profession. Mm. Oh, wow. People were giving birth much longer than they were, you know, paying for blowjobs. That's number one. (laughs) Number two, you might find it interesting to know Mm. that in a couple of weeks, I'm going to North Carolina to appear on a porn stars podcast. And, And I don't know that, I don't think the podcast is mainly about sex. She's just interested in healing and therapy mm. and culture and whatever. I don't even know what her views are. Which sex can also be very healing. That's of course it can. entirely different conversation. Of course it can. <laughs> I mean, porn has never been healing for me. At, 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 at the very best, it's mm. been a means to an end and, right. and sort of just, a, yeah. a, you know, a way to prime the pump, so to speak. <laughs> so I'm very ambivalent about the fact that I've engaged in that but that's why it's going to be an interesting conversation Mm. and i'm sure that talking to her face to face and she's you know they're flying me down that's great um is going to be interesting for me because it'll probably challenge some of my politics because here is a person now then again this is a porn star who is now in a position of being able to call her own shots yes right and most porn on the internet is of women being degraded abused demeaned like gonzo porn is the biggest you know search term the industry thrives on upping the ante mm. for men because actually neurologically our brains get desensitized. We need more and more to get the same hit, just like a heroin addict, just like a meth addict. So, you know, I don't know that my politics will shift entirely, mm. but it's going to complicate them. And I always welcome that. I'm excited. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's exciting. Yeah. Actually. Yeah. Again, this is not the truth. This is us just uh, sort of having an inquiry into what we could have these words mean. Right. Absolutely. So, um, I appreciate your candor, and uh, and that's that's great. Do you? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Is this the affirmation? I can't what wait. Makes to me reach... a boss bitch. I what go makes on the, you a I go, whore? I go no. on the boss bitch podcast. How to show... embrace your inner whore? Here we go. Here, yeah. you are a sexual being. You know who and what you want, and you get it. There is no wrong amount of nuts, cream pies. <laughs> Does this go on? I don't, I don't think you we, wrote it. I did. No, I didn't. Yeah, you did. did I write this? You wrote this. There is no wrong amount of nuts, cream pies, and squirts. Oh my. Watch <laughs> out, world. This bitch is coming. 
You know how to fulfill a fantasy for yourself and your lucky-ass lovers. What a whore you are, and we love to see it. Look, from from, <laughs> from, 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 from from your mouth to God's pussy lips. Yes. Oh, God's you know, like, pussy lips. Like, like, I would love that for myself. That sounds yeah. really great. No loads refused. Um, no loads refused. <laughs> that I'm was like a meme. A no, lo- no loads barred. Okay. No loads barred. Um, oh, yeah. well, there's a... And whatever word you want to use for that, great. But yeah. to me, that sounds sexually liberated, fulfilled, mm. you know, spontaneous, whatever. Now, that's that's not very sexy, but I mean, the words aren't, but fuck it it's about the feeling it's about it's mm. about the being the intention and the intention whatever you want to call it mm. <laughs> and the way there's an affirmation <laughs> oh there yeah, there yeah. is an affirmation you can say this in the mirror right over there here we go i am a fucking whore <laughs> sex is waiting for me i just need to take it consensually of course i freely and joyfully share my body my sexual energy is my creative energy I manifest more pleasure in my life by allowing myself to experience and co-create body, mind, and spirit. Mm, affirmation, emphasis on the firm. Mm. Uh-huh. Uh. <laughs> mm. <laughs> All right, Daniel, this has been a journey. Like Certainly. Holy shit. Wow. Wowza. Pleasure. Um, I think um, our listeners are really going to enjoy the links that we provide. Um, maybe I'm just speaking for myself. No, this is great. Yeah. Um, you're going to email me everything. Yeah, inclu- please. including my OnlyFans. Yes, 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 yes. Please subscribe Best to his part. OnlyFans. Um, um, but let, let the listeners know uh, where they can find you, what's up next, anything you want to promote. Right now into the microphone? Yeah, and then we'll put it in the text of the description. So mental chiropractic is at walkwithdaniel.com. And for anyone kind of curious but not sure if it applies to them, I do free 15-minute consult calls. So you can book that or you can book a walk. And I do them, I do uh, walks remotely. In fact, most of them. My clients are all over the world, so we do it by phone. You walk where you are, I walk where I am, rain or shine. Uh, Well, some exceptions. The podcast is called Let's Get Lyrical with Carice and Daniel. Check us out on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and Google Podcasts and I think other places as well. Please subscribe. We have a YouTube channel as well. There's a Patreon, patreon.com slash let's get lyrical. All of that information is is at our, whenever, wherever you get your podcasts. DanielMate.com has my musical theater stuff. You can look up The Myth of Normal on Amazon.com. Uh, as we record this, it's on the New York Times bestseller list. And there's just tons of podcasts as of now that I've been on in the past Four months, which is totally new for me, but with the release of the book, um, mm. I've got I've gotten to have a lot of great conversations. And then, yeah, the hello again stuff with my father is on YouTube. So if you Google Gabor Daniel, hello again, uh, you'll find it. Very Amazing. cool. Amazing. Thank you for talking to us. Thank you for talking to me.